to continue today the study that we began several weeks ago called The Exit, A Journey to Freedom. Because the book of Exodus is all about God taking his people who were bound, enslaved. Bound and enslaved. And releasing them into freedom by his mighty power. And then teaching them how to live in that freedom. How to enjoy that freedom as their life. And they were always tempted to go back to Egypt. But God was in the process not only of breaking the bondage that restrained them from the being the people that they longed to be and pressed them into serving, <clears throat> uh, 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 serving their taskmasters, living a life they weren't, they, they weren't designed for, a life they didn't want. And he, he broke the back of that bondage so that they could be free. And then... He began to instruct, as I said, his people on how to uh, remain in that freedom and develop that freedom in their lives. And it, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 10 says we are supposed to read the book of Exodus, learning what it has to teach us about our lives. It was written for our examples, it says. And most of us in the room would be able to relate to what it feels like, uh, as Paul described in Romans 7, to be... <clears throat> Never doing the things that we want to do, always doing the things we don't want to do. Living a life that is not the one we want. Being restrained from the life God intended for us, even though that's what we desire with our hearts, and being pressed into a life we, we don't want because of sin. And uh, so we are here reading the book of Exodus, learning how all that can change by our, uh, the power of our mighty, delivering God. And I'm going to have you today join with me at chapter 20 of Exodus where we are going to begin dealing with the Ten Commandments. And so we've come now <clears throat> with, the with the people of Israel as they've left Egypt as free people and begun their wilderness travel and come to the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses will climb Sinai and there on that mountain will receive from God the instructions we know as the Ten Commandments. And it's going to take us <clears throat> ten weeks to do it, as you might imagine. And uh, so it's going to be two and a half, uh, three months before we're done with this. And you might all just groan together. Just to, <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> but the reason that we're going to spend this kind of time on the Ten Commandments, not that you wouldn't be familiar with them, but because we have a God in heaven, the maker of the universe, who carved these in stone himself. Apparently, they're important. And I think that it would be wise for us to learn what he was trying to say to the people of Israel through the Ten Commandments about how to live free, how to enjoy the life he intended for them. Because it wasn't just them he was speaking to. When he was carving those Ten Commandments into rock, that was for our sake as well. Now, along the way, we're going to learn the Ten Commandments. Because I figure, like I said, this is uh, important. Apparently, God, uh, uh, these things are, are something God meant for us to uh, pay attention to. And... Um, we hear them, we've seen them written, but they don't often come to memory. If I asked you to uh, recite the Ten Commandments for, for me right now, you might not be able to, and, and I would understand that. But before we're done, I want for you to be able to 
easily, quickly have them at the ready. And you've got 10 fingers, conveniently enough, that we are going to use to help us be reminded of the Ten Commandments. And the first one, we're going to use our right thumb. Everybody get your right thumb. What I want you to do is close your left eye and look up at one of these fluorescent lights with your open right eye and take your right thumb and block out the light. Block out the light. Because the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. You could go on and read the rest of chapter 20 to see the Ten Commandments there. I'm not going to do it this morning, but I just want you to know where they are. That's why I asked you to turn there. Verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. So that reminds us, don't put anything in front of God. Don't put anything in front of God. Before we're done, you're going to have the Ten Commandments on your ten fingers. You'll never be able to escape them. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Now turn to Matthew chapter 6. You shall have no other gods before me. Dear ones, that is about devotion. Who are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? Who is the most important in your life? Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry. <clears throat> do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, meaning they don't, uh, it's not like needle and thread. That means they don't plant crops. They don't sow. They don't reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? A stature. A cubit is a unit of measure. Anybody here able to grow a couple inches because you've worried a lot about it? I think some of us who want to be basketball players have tried that. It doesn't quite work. He says, you can't add to your stature or your height by worrying about it. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, or those who don't know God, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put first, make the highest priority of your life the kingdom of God or the realm of God's rule and his righteousness, those things that are according to his will and purposes, those things that are right. Make first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in your life and all these things. All these other things that you're so worried about will be added to you. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
We will make gods of whatever we think will meet our needs. In Matthew chapter 6, the passage that we just read, it describes the three main needs that people have. Satisfaction, security, and significance. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink, how the hungers of your life are going to be satisfied. Satisfied. Don't worry about what you're going to put on. In other words, how you're going to protect yourself. Security. And don't worry about trying to add to your stature so that you can have significance. It's a human the human desire, it's a, it's a godly desire that we make a mark in this life, that our lives have meaning. And so all of us want to be, even though we're not the, probably the first to volunteer to get up in front of people and talk like I am this morning, we do want to be seen. We do want to make a difference. We do want to be um, people whose lives matter. Significance. Those three needs. Satisfaction security and significance are things that are so important to us that anything we think will provide us with those things, satisfaction, security, and significance, we will make gods of them. We will. Guy I know, uh, or knew, um, years ago, when Sue and I were pastoring in the uh, San Jose area, he and his wife came to see me because he'd cheated on her. As you might imagine, their marriage was in trouble. So I was counseling with them a little bit, really just, I mean, it was so bad. All I was really doing was trying to triage things, see if there was any, any path to any sort of recovery with them. But as they were telling me the story, or as he was telling me the story, because I, I, they were both Christians, and I turned to him and I, I just, I was so flabbergasted. I, I mean, I usually don't show <laughs> as much uh, emotion as I did in that moment. But I, I wasn't mad so much as just really flabbergasted. I, I said to him, I said, how is it that you as a Christian could give yourself permission to violate so much of God's commands and cheat on your wife. How did you do that? What kind of thought process is behind that? And he says to me, he says, well, the, this other woman, she meets my needs. She brought satisfaction to my life in certain areas. He had put God back behind this relationship because it in his opinion, met his needs. If, if you don't think that we have as human beings the capacity of doing that, you're kidding yourself. We will, we will make gods of whatever, we will put in front of God anything we think will meet our needs for, for uh, satisfaction, for security. I knew a guy who, when Sue and I, even before the story I told you before, we were pastoring in the uh, East Bay in, the, in Pleasanton, so the Livermore-Pleasanton area. Um, we were pastoring there, and um, a guy and his wife had come to be part of the church. They had been pastors, actually fairly successful pastors, up in the state of Oregon. 
And the reason that they had relocated to our town was uh, just because they were trying to get somewhere where they might be able to recover. He had experienced a supreme burnout in his, um, in his ministerial duties, and it affected their marriage. They were in, they were in trouble. And so they came to our area, they rented at home, and, and they plugged into our church. And over the months that followed, I watched God do his amazing stuff. Just like I get the chance to observe the arc of development in your life from my vantage point. It's the reason I do what I do. So I get to see God do this, unfold these amazing stories in your life that you can't even see because you're so close to them. But from my perspective, I watch God take you from where he found you and begin to change dramatically all of the, bring health to all of the, and wholeness to all the areas of your life. I was watching that happen in this couple and their family and just delighted to, to see that. And then one day he came to me, this man, and he said, we're moving. And I, and I just, I, I knew that this was trouble. You know, and I don't get to boss people around and tell them what they can and can't do. But, you know, he was, because he wasn't even asking for my advice. He was informing me. By the way, if you want my advice, ask for it. If you're going to inform me, you're on your own. <laughs> just, just so you know. So he was informing me what they were going to do. And I, I knew it wasn't good. I said, why is that? Why, why are you going to, God is doing such good things in your life. Why are you going to move? And what they were going to do was they were renting in, in our area. It was a very expensive uh, place to live. And they were going to go out to the exurbs, out to Tracy or Manteca, one of those places out there, which back in those days you could buy you know, a mansion for dirt cheap. And they were going to buy a home. And he said to me, he said, Randy, here's why. And then, you know, it'll, be all, it'll be fine. You know, we'll, we'll commute into church and like that. It'll be fine. He said, we, we've got to do this because we need the security of the equity that, that uh, buying that house will provide. We need to secure our future. He put that need, that thing, that house, he thought would meet his need for security. He put that in front of God. This was more important. And almost from that day, everything started to fall apart, including their marriage. They ended up divorcing and uh, on and on. He uh, got into drug, drugs, and uh, you know, it was a bad, bad scene. All because he made a god of something he thought would meet his needs. We all know people who have put their careers before God because they think it will give them significance. Now, please, I'm going to give you another illustration here, but I've got to preface it because I don't want you to misunderstand. Look, I'm an old I'm sorry, just, I don't know if I can say it in church, so I won't say I'm an old something. <laughs> and uh, so I, <clears throat> uh, so, you know, you might just write me off what I'm about to say is just, well, you do, you're old, you don't understand from a different time and, you know, you're prehistoric and I'm with it and, you know, <laughs> like that. Um, because this has to do with tattoos, all right? So there you go. I don't have any. I can't imagine why anybody would want one. But that's not, that's not at all what this is about. But we all know people. We all know people, not the majority by any means, who tat themselves up to gain significance, to be seen, 
right? To stand out. We will, we will make gods of anything we think will meet our needs. And the problem is the gods of our making cannot meet our needs. They cannot. Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8, they talk about, uh, God talks about idols, and he says, these idols of silver and gold, the idols you make of men's hands, they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they can't smell. Hands, but they can't handle. Feet, but they can't walk. They, they can't even mutter through their throat. And those things that you have made as gods, you will find yourself becoming like them. They will come to dominate you. Don't tell me, people, don't worship at the, at the altars of false gods. They get our money, they get our time, they get our awareness, they get our affection. And then we find ourselves becoming like them. Not only can they, do they come to dominate us, they, come to, they, they steal from us. They take. They don't give. They take. And ultimately, they fail us. Our needs can only be met when God is the highest priority of our lives. Why? Because he's the one who knows what we really need. Oh, I could tell you story after story of time. I, there, look, there was a time I thought I need to have a video camera. <laughs> I must. And I'm, you know, we're kind of, the kind of talking about the kind that's like this big, you know. And then on top of that, you carry a suitcase around with you. Okay, that's how old I am. I need one of those. Now I've got one I carry around in my pocket. I didn't need that. I didn't need that. I wasted, I, I wasted money at the altar of that video camera. But God knows what we really need. And that's, that's not to say that he doesn't care about us enjoying things. That's not to say that God is some sort of austere, just get used to not having stuff because God knows what you really need. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God knows what you really need. And he's the only one. And the Bible says, just a few verses up from where we, where we read in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 7 to, uh, actually 6 through 8, you'll see there that he says, I know what you need before you ask. And not only does he know what we really need, and not only is he already in the process of meeting those needs, but he's the only one with the power to meet our needs. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Our needs can only be met when God is the highest priority of our lives. And here's what's most important. When God is first, we can start to live for more than getting our needs met. 
God, I don't know how he did it, but carved into stone those words, you shall have no other gods before me, not because he's got a problem with his ego, but because he knows that his plans for us, his plans for you are for far more than just trying to get your needs satisfied, your, to secure your own uh, future, to gain significance. He can take care of all of that and so much more. You shall have no other gods before me. When we do worry and anxiety, stop ruling us. I chuckled when we started to read Matthew 6, verse 25, remember, because it starts off, don't worry. I can't even imagine a day without worry. Can you? But what would life be like? What would life be like? Well, I'll tell you what it would be like. It would be like what God has planned for you. A life without worry. Because I've tr- I, I have put the only one who can take care of all that stuff front and center of my life and trusted him with it all. Oh, then I can live for my destiny, not for just trying to get my needs met. The God who knew you in your mother's womb and was shaping your future wants that for you. When I was about seven or eight, <clears throat> uh, I, my maternal grandparents took me on a trip around the western states of the United States. So I got to see a lot of the country. Now, at the time, I thought, this is the worst thing in the world. Just me and these two old people <laughs> in a car for you know, hours and hours at a, at a time. And I'm sure I complained my little heart out. You know, now I'm so grateful I had that kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But then, I'm sure I was a pill. Anyway, <clears throat> we came to the Grand Canyon. How many of you have ever been there? I, I had never been. Uh, if you have been, you know then what a, that's an amazing, amazing place. And uh, <clears throat> so we, I didn't know anything about it. All I knew is the car was stopping. Thank God. And I jumped out of the car and I started to run. Just, you know, I just so frustrated with being tied up in this automobile. <coughs> I just started to run and I noticed there was a bunch of people gathered at this railing looking over. And I didn't know what they were looking at. I just, you know, I just ran, jumped, landed on the top of the fence, you know, kicked my legs over and just looked down. <laughs> you know, like kids do, without fear of any sort. And it's, I don't know how far it is, but it's a way down there. <laughs> and there's a reason there's a railing, right? Well, here's what I heard on the way. It didn't really stop me, but I, I, well, on the way to what I ended up doing, I heard this from my grandfather. Stop! What I didn't hear was, oh, you know, Randy, I, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I think if, I'd like you to reconsider your plan at this point. Would you, would you please uh, think for a moment? I didn't hear that. Why? Because he loved me too much. God took whatever he took and chiseled into stone. Don't have any other gods before me. Because he loves us too much to let us continue 
to worry our way through life, to make other things who cannot satisfy us, who cannot secure us, who cannot add significance to us to take his place. This is recording number 11149 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 15, 2015. This is the seventh message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Devotion.